Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Today, as I said, I'll be in Croatia, so away next Sunday. Pastor Brian will be in the pulpit starting uh, a series on Daniel. So that'll happen next Sunday, and I'm sure that will be a blessing. But for this morning, even though we're in a series on Mark, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, verse uh, chapter 21, John 21. I'll explain why in just a moment. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have paperback Bibles uh, underneath the chairs in front of you. You can grab one of those. This passage is on page 529. John 21 is on page 529 of the paperback Bibles, just reading verses 15 through 19 this morning. Um, When I was uh, in grade school, junior high, I don't know, probably sixth sixth grade, seventh grade maybe, I was uh, on uh, our Little League football team. We were the Dallas Cowboys and um, had my helmet with the star on the side and uh, went to practice during, during the night. And um, I was on an end or kind of a receiver, and so uh, I was a, a one who was supposed to be getting passes thrown to him, uh, but that wasn't happening very often. It was just like I never got the ball thrown to me for whatever reason. And um, uh, so I just remember this one night we're practicing, and my time came, and, and they decided to run a play where they're going to throw the ball to me. And so, <clears throat> I remember going out, and it kind of was a down and out, went down in the end zone, turned to the left, and again, this is nighttime practice, and so there's these huge spotlights up around the field. And <clears throat> I remember that quarterback getting out and just launching that ball into the air, and it just went right into one of those lights, and it just, it just got completely lost in the light. And I, I'm waiting for it, and I'm looking for it, and the next thing I know, it hits me right in the head, right in the head, <laughs> bounces off onto the ground. Um, a perfect throw, <laughs> I have to acknowledge, that I wasn't able to catch. And uh, it was a, a major blunder, and, and you know, I, I, I was devastated by that. I thought this was, you know, this was my chance, and, and I blew it. I blew it. Um, Maybe you felt that way at some point in your life. You, you had your chance and you blew it. And, and you started looking for a second chance. Would there be a second chance for you? By the way, there wasn't a second chance for me. They never threw me the ball again. <laughs> but when we make a blunder like this, we, we long for a second chance. Well, last week, as we are going through the book of Mark, we read this story of Peter And you might remember that Peter engaged in a major blunder, a major failure. Uh, We called it backsliding. He backslid because he was in a position where he had the opportunity to declare his allegiance to Jesus, and he neglected to do that. In fact, he did the exact opposite. He denied that he even knew Jesus. I mean, talk about a major failure. And we just have to wonder how, how Peter would have thought about that, you remember the very end of the passage, he broke down and wept at the end of that, just realizing his failure. Well, um, we're going through this series on the book of Mark. The reason why we're in John today is because John tells us something here about how Jesus followed up with Peter after that incident, and it's just not in Mark's gospel. So we're going to look at what happens here in John chapter 21, and what we're seeing here is how Jesus deals with failures. 
specifically how Jesus deals with Peter's failure, his backsliding, his refusal to identify with Jesus. I think one of the best descriptions of Christianity I've ever heard, it came from this British writer, and he said, Christianity is the sanctification of failure. I think that's just one of the best ways to describe what Christianity is, that God takes failures and uses them for great and mighty purposes, and that's what we're seeing here with Peter. So, you remember the story, just review, Peter, uh, so Jesus said to the disciples, you're all going to deny me, and remember Peter says, no, I am never going to deny you, even if I have to go to die, I will not deny you, and then Jesus says, uh, Peter, let me have, uh, I got some news for you, before the day is up, you're going to deny me, not just once, but three times. And even with that forewarning about what was going to happen, that's exactly what did happen, servant girl kind of pressing Peter, and he declares three times that he doesn't even know Jesus. And so, here we are in John chapter 21, and so this is after the resurrection of Jesus now, and um, maybe you remember this story, the disciples are in a boat, and they're fishing, and they're having trouble gathering in the fish, and they hear this person yell from the shore, hey, throw the net on the other side of the boat, and so they do that, they end up gathering in 153 um, fish, and then Peter's in that boat, and he stands up, and he realizes who that guy is on the shore. He says, that's Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat, and he swims to shore, and all the disciples come in, and, and here they are together with the resurrected Jesus, eating breakfast together. And that's where the text picks up here in John 21. So if you're able to stand, uh, please do that now. I'm reading John 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, there are basically two things going on here in this passage that I want to make note of. So, so just two points this morning, and the first is this. Regarding how Jesus deals with failure, Jesus restores failures to fellowship with Him. First thing I want you to see, Jesus restores failures to fellowship with Him. <clears throat> now, one thing that's important to notice here in this text is the similarities in this event to the event that we heard about last week with Peter's denials, that there are a number of similarities, and so the first of which would be these questions that Jesus is asking 
Peter, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Right? Three times, verse 15 and um, verse 17, and uh, again in verse 17. Three times. So why, why would he ask him that three times? Probably not hard to figure out. Remember, last week, Peter was asked three times when he was in that courtyard if he knew Jesus, twice from the servant girl and then from the bystanders as well. Three opportunities here for, G, for Peter to do something that he didn't do last week. Last week, every time he got asked the question, he denied that he knew Jesus, but here we have Peter answering very differently. Circumstances are different, but here is Jesus asking this question, do you love me? And every single time Jesus says, yes, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Uh, we might ask, what does this mean here with the first question in verse 15? He says, do you love me more than these? Kind of a cryptic statement there. There's differences of opinion about what Jesus is referring to more than these. Some people say that Jesus is referring to Peter's fishing equipment. You know, like, do you love me more than your occupation and your worldly vocation? Uh, that's not really very convincing to me. I think probably what Jesus is saying is, do you love me more than these other disciples? Because remember, Peter, you were the one who said you weren't going to deny me even though everybody else would fall, even though these disciples would deny you. Peter, you said you wouldn't. And so it seems like Peter, Jesus is kind of bringing this back to, to Peter. Do you love me even more than these other disciples that you thought you were so much better than? Um, <clears throat> so that's one similarity. Three questions last week, three questions this week. Uh, another similarity here is much more subtle, but I, I think it's significant, and that is the presence of a fire. I mentioned it very briefly last week, but when Peter was in that courtyard and he got that question from the servant girl, he was, he was warming himself in front of a, a fire. And if you go to uh, just back a, a little bit to John 21, 9, let's go back to verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. So there's Jesus on the shore, He's preparing breakfast, but there's a fire there. There was a fire with Peter's denial. Now there is a fire as Peter is restored. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's recreating a situation that bears great similarity to this previous situation of Peter's failure so that he can fully and completely restore Peter to fellowship with himself. We see here in verse 17 when it says that Peter was grieved because uh, he had said to him a third time, do you love me? Now, that, that might be he's grieved because he's getting this question a third time. It might be, you know, he's maybe a little bit irritated. It's like, I've already told you twice now a third time. But, but it also could be <clears throat> that word grieved is different than the word irritated. He's grieved. It could be that what Peter is realizing is what Jesus is doing here, recreating the situation, bringing back to his memory his previous failure when he denied Jesus three times. And so he's grieved, he's remembering, oh yes, thinking of that failure, thinking of how he denied Jesus in a previous event. So, so Pete, Jesus is kind of recreating this, this situation with these similarities. I want to make one note here, because I think it's very important for us to understand that something that's not happening here is Peter is not being reconverted to Jesus, okay? I mentioned this last week. 
Peter has not lost his salvation. He's not gaining salvation back. Peter himself is the one who wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 1, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed.'" in the last time. That does not sound to me like somebody who thinks that he lost his salvation and gained it back. His salvation has always been reserved, undefiled, imperishable, guarded by God for him. What Peter did last time is he backslid. He slipped away from fellowship with Jesus in his denials, but he did not lose salvation. So, this is not a reconversion. This is Jesus restoring Peter to fellowship with himself. So, another similarity. There's the three questions, there's the presence of a fire, but another similarity between this week and last week is the fact that in both cases, it's a public event. Do you remember last week, it was Peter with a servant girl and the bystanders. It was before others that he denied Jesus, which actually made the sin even more serious. But notice what Jesus is doing here. He is restoring Peter in public, right? Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, the other disciples are there. They're watching. They're listening to what, has, uh, to what is going to happen. Peter was disgraced in public, and now in Jesus' mercy, he is going to be restored in public. I mean, one of the great things that you can do to people in your household, the people you love the most, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, whoever it is, is compliment them, right? That's always a good thing to do. Tell them what you love and appreciate about that person. But you want to know what's even better is when you compliment them in public. When you say positive, affirming things about your loved ones so that others can hear. But you really want to bless a person do that. Don't keep it to yourself. Let others know how much you appreciate this person. Compliment them. Affirm them in public. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's going to affirm Peter in in public. Likely, there was a private conversation between Jesus and Peter. I guess we don't know that. It's not in the Scriptures, I I don't think. But likely, there was a a private conversation that they had with each other. But but now, Jesus is doing this for a specific purpose. He, He wants it to be made public. So, something else to notice here about Jesus' um, questions. The three questions that Jesus asks are always, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, there's different Greek words being used there. I I think there's been a little too much made of that. I'm not going to go into any detail on that issue right now, but what Jesus is concerned about is Peter's love for him. So, notice what Jesus is not saying. He's not coming to Peter and saying, okay, Peter, what's your plan to make sure that you never backslide again? You know, it's not, okay, Peter, promise me you're never going to do that again. If you can make that promise, then we can move on. You know, we can do this thing. That's not what he says. He's not heaping some burden on Peter. What what he wants to know, what Jesus wants to know from Peter is, Peter, what do you love? What do you love the most? That's the essential question here as they're considering Peter's 
going forward and whether he's going to backslide again, the key question is, what does Peter love? Friends, we, we are not saved by love. We're not saved because we love God enough so that He can then save us. We're not justified by love alone. Justified by faith alone. But if Peter is going to avoid backsliding again, and the same goes for all of us, if we are going to avoid falling into a situation like Peter fell into last week, it's going to all depend on what we love. What do you love the most? I would say this. Every single sin we commit basically is because we are loving something else more than God in that moment. If you are truly loving God more than anything else, you're not going to sin, right? That's the very first commandment, love the Lord God with your whole, your whole heart, soul, and mind. That's why it's first, because all other commandments fall, follow from that. All sin results because we love something else more than God. That's why Jesus is pressing this with Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter, if you love me, you're not going to deny me again. I mean, for example, let's just say somebody criticizes you. Criticism, typically, it stings. It, it hurts. Someone criticizes you. In that moment, what do you love the most? If you love your reputation, your reaction to that criticism is likely going to be defensiveness. You're probably going to be offended. How dare you call my character into question? <laughs> you're probably going to get argumentative. You're going to start offering up all sorts of rationalizations. Because in that moment, if you love your reputation more than anything else, you've got to guard your reputation and you can't stand criticism. But what if in that moment that you get this criticism, you love God the most? If you love God the most, you're like, well, what does God say about this? God says, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. Um, you know what? There is a likelihood that what this person is criticizing me about might be true. And maybe I should consider it. Maybe there's something to confess here. Maybe there's an opportunity for me to repent. Maybe there's an opportunity to humble myself before this criticism doesn't necessarily mean that every criticism is right. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's an unfair criticism, but that's an attitude presented in that situation that displays a love for God over love for reputation. Uh, scriptures are pretty clear. Jesus says it just this simply, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The inverse of that, if you don't love me, you will not keep my commandments. Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, salvation through faith alone, that works itself out through love. Love is always going to be the manifestation of true saving faith. So, I think that's why Jesus here is emphasizing love so intentionally with Peter. So really, it's a, it's a wonderful passage here, isn't it? It, it? I hope it's encouraging to, to you if you're feeling like a, a failure today. Maybe you're dealing with this right now, and maybe you've dealt with it in the past, and you just feel like damaged goods. You just feel like you're beyond repair. You just feel like you've made one mistake too many. And you just feel like there might be second chances for others, but there's not going to be any second chance for me because I screwed it up too badly. Let me just encourage you. If Jesus can restore Peter, He can restore you. If Jesus can restore Peter, and He did, He can restore you. 
Um, there's a story that's, that's told, maybe you've heard it, um, Thomas Edison, he's making this light bulb, and it's the very first light bulb, and his workers have been developing this light bulb for a long time, and so the light bulb is finally finished, and he gives the light bulb to his assistant, and it's a young man, they're down on a bottom floor, they've got to take it up to a laboratory on the second floor, and so this young man gets the light bulb, and he starts walking up the stairs, and he's being very careful, but he stumbles and he drops the light bulb, and it shatters. And so this news is given to Thomas Edison, and so he says, okay. He gets all of his workers back into the shop, and they assemble another light bulb. And there it is. They have it, and it's ready to go. They're on the bottom floor. It needs to go up to the top floor. And so now he's got to give it to somebody to take it up. Who does he choose? And as the story goes, Edison chose to give it to the same young man. And he took it up the steps successfully. And then Edison is quoted as, as saying this, last time when the bulb was broken, the person's heart was broken also. It's not difficult to make another bulb, but to infuse fresh spirit into a broken heart is more difficult. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to infuse a fresh spirit and encouragement into the heart of this young assistant who felt like a failure. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with Peter, and that's what He wants to do with you too. He wants to infuse a fresh spirit of encouragement to let you know that He is not done with failures, and He has a plan and a future for you. So that's the first thing to consider. Uh, second thing is this, Jesus reinstates failures to leadership in the church. Jesus reinstates failures to leadership in the church. There's really two issues going on in this passage. There's the restoration to fellowship that Jesus has done with Peter, but there's a second part, which is the um, reinstatement to leadership. So, you know, it's one thing to, to fall, to backslide, to, to fail in our personal lives. It, it's kind of a different thing, though, when somebody in leadership, like a pastor or a priest, when they fall into some kind of scandalous sin. What about that kind of situation? The pastor, you've heard about these pastors who they fall into some kind of sin, they're removed from leadership. Can they be reinstated and brought back to a position where they're leading a congregation and preaching God's Word? Can that happen? If we notice how Jesus is treating Peter here, I think we have to say that the answer is yes. Yes. Because notice that Peter here, Peter's not just a run-of-the-mill disciple here, right? Peter is an apostle. He is in a kind of another level of leadership in the church. Just to remind you, we looked at this many months ago in Mark, but Jesus appointed 12 whom He also named apostles so that they might be with Him and He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom He gave the name Peter, the first apostle mentioned. The apostle of apostles is Peter. And that, again, just magnifies the kind of seriousness of his sin of denying Jesus in that courtyard. What is an apostle? An apostle is a person put into a very specific, unique role. The apostles were charged with proclaiming the gospel, but also preserving the purity of the gospel for the sake of the church down the ages. And that's what Peter was. And so, the question here is not just can Peter now be brought into um, 
a, a close relationship with Jesus again, but the other question is, is Peter going to continue to work as an apostle after his denial? And what this passage is telling us is, yes, Jesus reinstates failures to leadership in the church as well, because look what Jesus tells Peter to do. In response to Peter's declarations that, yes, Jesus, I love you, he says in verses 15 and 17, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my people. What, what he's saying there is instruct and teach and unfold the Word of God, proclaim the gospel, the things that I have been teaching you, Peter, all of the Word of God that you possess Use that to feed and nourish your people, right? It says in Matthew chapter 4 that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how we're nourished, how we grow as Christians. We're fed the Word. That's Pastor Brian's and, and my and the elders' chief responsibility here in this church is to feed you guys and to give you a healthy meal as much as we can. And so, um, this is what Jesus says to Peter, feed them. But also, he says in verse 16, tend the sheep. Don't just feed them, but care for them. Care for them. Come alongside them when they're sick. Counsel them when they are troubled. Admonish them when they go astray. Care for them. Be with them. Love them. So what Jesus is saying to Peter here is, these are the two things I want you to do. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds to me like the work of an apostle. That sounds to me like the work of a pastor. It sounds to me like the work of a leader in the church. And notice also the emphasis on my lambs, Jesus says. Feed my lambs. These are my people. His primary goal here is not necessarily making sure that the world is brought into the church. It's making sure that God's people are fed. Certainly we want to be evangelistic and reach the world with the gospel. But Jesus' priority here is feed my sheep. So just, it's just an amazing thing, isn't it? That this Peter who denied Jesus three times is not only restored to full fellowship with his Savior, but he is also fully reinstated as a leader of the church and an apostle. And you look in the book of Acts and you'll see Peter preaching all these powerful sermons, people coming to faith through his preaching, and he even writes two New Testament books under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what God does with failures. Isn't that extraordinary? It just reminds me of what Psalm 103.10 says, the Lord does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's the way we operate with others, but that's not the way God operates. Jesus reinstates failures to leadership in the church. Well, what do we say about fallen pastors? That seems to be uh, a question that is raised by this text. Um, happens way too often. If you're on social media, you follow what goes on in the church, you know, there's just an endless, it seems, list of names of pretty famous pastors who fell in some way. Mark Driscoll, remember that story? James McDonald up in Chicago, Bill Hybels. Ted Haggard, do you remember that story, Ted Haggard? That was a long time ago. Ted Haggard, born in Yorktown, actually. Ted Haggard, um, Matt Chandler has been kind of set aside here recently, and I don't know all the details of all these stories. I'm not trying to cast judgment on them. Maybe they've been wronged. I, I, I don't know, but 
It seems to happen a lot that because of various reasons, sometimes it's verbal abuse, the way these pastors treat people on their staff. Sometimes it's various addictions that they get into. Sometimes it's sexual immorality or adultery, and they fall and they're removed. And so, can these men who commit such heinous sins be restored? And so, let me answer that that question by keeping this distinction in mind between being restored and being reinstated. Can they be restored to Jesus? Well, absolutely yes. And immediately upon their confession and acknowledgement of their sin before God and their repentance from that sin. They they are received back into fellowship with Jesus, just like the assurance of pardon that we heard this morning. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's not like pastors who commit these sins are exempt from that somehow, even though their sin is serious, but they're not exempt from that. They can be restored to fellowship with Jesus immediately. But can they be reinstated to leadership? The answer is also yes, because this is what we're seeing here in how Jesus treats Peter. But can they be reinstated immediately? And the answer to that is no. No. It's going to take some time, not so fast. When can a fallen pastor be reinstated? Well, not never and not immediately. I'll say that. It's somewhere in between the two. It's going to depend on the situation. It's going to depend on the the man. It's going to depend on the sin. It's going to depend on his response. But yes, fallen leaders can be restored. The good thing about the gospel, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that you don't have to prove yourself to be a Christian. In order for your sins to be forgiven and for you to come into relationship with God through Jesus, you don't have to kind of get some pattern of behavior going, first of all, so that you can then be received in the kingdom. No, you can be received now, immediately. If you're not a Christian, just receive Jesus now. Confess your sins, take Him as your Savior, and you're welcomed into His presence. You don't have to prove yourself. But when it comes to being a pastor or a leader in the church, you do have to prove yourself to some degree. There is a trial period. And I would say the same thing applies to the fallen pastor, restored immediately to fellowship with Jesus, but there's a trial period where that man's got to prove himself if he's going to be a pastor again. That's got to happen. And again, that's going to take different amounts of time and different steps in different cases. We might say, well, isn't Jesus restoring Peter immediately? Yeah, but he's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus knows Peter's heart. Jesus, If Jesus thinks Peter's ready, I'm okay with that. Jesus apparently thinks Peter is ready. But here's, I think, one of the mistakes a lot of guys make when they um, are fallen pastors is that they determine for themselves that they're ready to come back. And they come back and say, okay, I'm ready now. But notice here, Peter is not restoring himself, is he? Jesus is restoring Peter. And so if any man is going to be restored to the pastorate, it has to be because those over him in authority have determined that the time has come. But that's not up to him to make that decision. And that seems to be consistent with with what we're saying here. So, well... Let's go on here to finish out this text. What is going to become of Peter? <clears throat> you know, th- this is the question. Is he, is he going to deny Jesus again? Is he going to backslide again? Is he going to fail again? I mean, it's always the risk you take, right, when you kind of reinstate somebody. 
I, you, don't, you don't really know. We can't tell the future, but, but Jesus does know the future. And so in Peter's case, we know that um, this apparently is not going to happen for Peter. Because what Jesus says in verse 18 to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So apparently Peter, in the day of his death, was glorifying God. And how did this happen? Well, what Jesus seems to be saying here is that, you know, when a person is young, yes, you dress yourself, you go wherever you want to go. Um, but for you, Peter, uh, the time is going to come when you're going to be led to your execution. And you will stretch out your hands, he says. That, that phrase for stretch out your hands is, is just what it sounds like. When a person is nailed to the cross, they, that person stretches out his or her hands. And so what Jesus is saying here to Peter is you're going to die by crucifixion. And in that death, you're going to bring glory to me. And so I wonder how often do we think about that? How we glorify God in our life, that's one thing, but are you, am I ready to glorify God in my death? Are, are you preparing for that? I mean, are you even thinking about that? How am I going to die? Will I glorify God in my death? For Peter, early tradition tells us that, um, that when Peter was crucified, he, he said, I don't want to be crucified in the same way as Jesus, so crucify me upside down. That's what some reports have said. Uh, it's kind of uncertain as to whether that's actually the, the case, that there are some reasons to maybe doubt that. We, we don't know, but we do know that he was, he was crucified, he was hung on a cross, right? Because that's exactly what Jesus is saying. That's how the man died. And I just wonder, maybe this is speculation, but I wonder if Peter was given an opportunity to deny Jesus in that moment that he might escape that crucifixion. Hey, you can deny Jesus right now and you won't die on a cross. And perhaps Peter said... You know what? He stretched out his hands for me. I'm stretching out my hands for him. And he died and glorified God in his death. Can you say you're, you're, you're ready for that? How, how can you know that you're ready to glorify God in, in your death? It, it's just simply knowing that your only hope in life and death is what Jesus Christ has done for you. If on that last day your heart is with Him and your eyes are fixed on Him, even with all of the failures of your life having come before, you're just clinging to Jesus as you escape this life. That, that's how you glorify God in your death. And so I think an appropriate way to bring this to a close is um, we're going to recite together another catechism question because this sums this up really well. Heidelberg Catechism question number one. Um, band, if you want to come forward... And uh, we'll have us all stand here, and let's conclude uh, by reading this together. I'll read the question, and then we'll read the answer together. So, Christian, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil 
He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Lord God, we ask, Holy Spirit, make us heartily willing and ready to live for You for all the days that You give us, and help us, Lord, to glorify You when You call us to Yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.